Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we do draw near to you with faith in the promise that you first drew near to us. You come to bring hope and peace. You come to offer yourself to be with us in the midst of this journey, in the midst of all life's journeys. We do not travel alone. So, Lord, in this moment, we pray that your spirit would move again in our midst, that our spirits would be in tune with you, that we might receive good news and be empowered and equipped to be doers of good news when we shall leave this place. Lord, hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Have you ever given power over your heart or mind to someone or something that had no business being granted such influence? From a certain point of view, I think it's safe to say that all of us have done so, although some undoubtedly have a more harrowing tale to tell. We've trusted in that which was untrustworthy, tried to build a stable structure on an unstable foundation, and asked fading and finite things to fill a void that only God and God's eternal grace could satisfy. There's an obscure story in the biblical book of Judges that speaks to this point. It's a story of a corrupt and wicked man named Abimelech and the man who dared to speak out against him. And today I want to offer this story to you as a touchstone that moves us closer and closer still to the heart of Advent's powerful promise of renewal and deliverance through the grace of Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, the scripture says. God with us. Abimelech came from a powerful family. His father Gideon was a great warrior whose exploits and achievements captivated the people of ancient Israel. Captivated them so much, in fact, that they asked Gideon to rule over them, to become their king. Gideon, however, refused this honor. Far from a perfect man, he at least had the good sense to recognize what was going on when the people came to him with that request. What they really wanted, he recognized, was a strong man, someone to tell them what to do. And they were willing to give up their voice and their active participation in their community's most important decisions in order to have that person ruling over them. Gideon recognized that this was an abdication of the people's sacred duty, not only to be engaged in their own life and their community's well-being, but in discerning and doing the will of God. In essence, Gideon recognized that the people were saying, you know, this stuff of, of praying and sorting out right from wrong and what's good and what's decent, that's, that's, that's kind of difficult. Why don't you just take care of it, Gideon? You figure it all out, Gideon, and tell us what to do. And Gideon recognized the, 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 the pitfalls and the traps that were along such a path. So he wanted nothing to do with it. In matters political and spiritual, it seems, Gideon recognized that absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. Abimelech, one of Gideon's sons, however, didn't share his father's scruples. And when Gideon died, Abimelech exploited the people's desire for a strong man and their disinterested in holy and sacred things in order to seize power for himself. The scripture says that Abimelech's first move was rallying investors to donate in his cause. 
He told them, you know, everyone else is against you. No one else has your best interest in mind. But I do. I look out for you. I have your interest in mind. So into me and what I'm doing, and I'll take care of you. So the rich in the community piled their money up on Abimelech, and he used that money to raise up and to buy an army for himself, a mercenary army, worthless and reckless fellows, the scripture calls them. Next, just in case any of Gideon's other 70 sons felt that they might like to seize power for themselves, Abimelech took that mercenary army and he killed all of them. He killed all of his brothers, save for one, Jotham. Jotham was the son, the youngest brother, who escaped. For three years, Abimelech the tyrant, the strong man, held on to his power, his tenuous grip on the people, broken only when those investors ultimately turned on them. Their loyalty, loyalty, it seems, was always to their gold and silver, not to the one that they could buy with it. In his misbegotten life's final scene, Abimelech died in battle. Actually, the scripture tells us that it was a woman who struck the fatal blow against this tyrant. And he says to the one witness there, don't tell them that a woman killed me. Don't tell them that a woman did this to me. Of course, the fact that that makes it way into the story, it's actually one of the few things that the scripture remembers about Abimelech, that, uh, that a woman's blow brought him down. It's always the case, isn't it, that nothing is quite as fragile as a strong man's ego, is it, in ancient times? until this very day. Judges chapter 9 makes it clear that God's people had strayed far, far away from the holy path that God would have them travel. A well-funded power grab, uh, uh, the, the slaughter of innocence, loyalties sold to the highest bidder. This is the picture of a nation in chaos, not the beloved community that God delivered from slavery in Egypt with promises of freedom in a land of their own. Within Abimelech's story, though, there is a clear voice of opposition, a speaker of truth. It's the youngest brother who escaped, Jotham, who who survived his brother's onslaught. Coming to terms with his brother's wickedness, Jotham decides to take action. Actually, it's his final parting scene. He realizes that he's in a bad situation here, his brother rising up so many against him. So Jotham takes action by going not to his brother, but to those investors who set the conditions for Abimelech's power grab to take place. And Jotham told a story to those investors. Jotham went and stood at the top of Mount Gerizim and cried out in a loud voice to all who had gathered there, Listen to me, you lords of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over themselves. And first they went to the olive tree. And they said, Olive tree, come and reign over us. And the olive tree said, should I stop producing the rich oil by which the gods and mortals are honored in order to come and rule over you? And the trees, he said, I will not be. The olive tree said, I will not be your king. So the tree said to the fig tree, fig tree, come, come and rule over us. And the fig tree said, what am I going to do? Stop giving up my fruit to bless the community, to bless gods and mortals and honor them. I will not be your king. So the people called out to the grapevine, grapevine, they said, come and rule over us. 
And the grapevine said, Should I stop producing the wine that brings joy to the gods and mortals and honors them all? I will not be your king. So the people called out to the bramble, to the thorn bush, and said, Would you be our king? And the bramble said, Come sit in my shade. Ask me whatever you want, and it will be given to you. Come sit in my shade. So the trees made the bramble their king. This Old Testament parable reminds me of St. Paul's New Testament confession that there's often a great distance between wanting to do good and actually doing it. We can sense the community's growing desperation as each overture is rejected. The olive tree said no. Well, what about the fig tree? Still no. Well, go ask the grapevine. The grapevine won't even do it. Well, hello, thornbush. Come, come into my life. As I said, it's an unfamiliar story. I don't expect many of you are, are, were, were ready to quote along the story of Abimelech and Jotham today. But there's tremendous power and truth in this old story, isn't there? But we can only access that truth. We can only access that truth when we admit that it speaks a truth about us. That we've, like the trees, followed them in foolish ways, consumed by desire, a desire for something, for someone, for some time. We've cast our pearls before swine and underestimated our own worth and value. We've settled for a pale imitation of that for which our soul truly yearns. We've forsaken the wisdom of those who would steer us toward the common good and purposeful work born of our own unique gifts. We've left the abundance of the olives, oil, the figs, fruit, and the grapes, wine, for the brambles, scarce shade, simply because the thorn bush told us what we wanted to hear. What's that you want from me, the thorn bush says? Just tell me, and it's all yours. We've all heard it before. We know it's a lie when we hear it, but it's just so seductive to walk away from the promise of the thorn bush and thistle, isn't it? Jotham wasn't just chastising his brothers then, you see. He was chasing us too, warning us for the countless ways in which we've diminished ourselves and devalued each other by allowing thorns and brambles to fester in our hearts. We've learned the bitter lessons that despite its promise to the contrary, there is no relief in the shade of the thorn bush. Only the brambles snare. The children of God cling to The promise of the inspired prophet. Even now, the prophet says, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. For every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In mercy and in love, Jesus comes to us, caught and stuck as we are by the twisted and fruitless thorns of our sin, of our mistakes, of everything that's broken within us, to set us free from the bramble's grasp. I baptize you with water for repentance, said John the Baptist, but one who is more powerful is coming than I. One who is more com- more powerful than I is coming. One who will set you free, who will place your feet upon an everlasting rock. The good news to us today and always is that Jesus is the one who comes with such power to set us free, to break the chains, to break the grasp 
of the bramble within our hearts and within our spirits so that we might go on as a free people. And what do you do when you get away from the thorn bush? If you ever grew up on a farm or in southern Indiana, you know that sometimes you just got to burn the thorn bush up so you don't fall back into it. Jesus comes not only to set us free, but to remove from us the thorns grasp, the temptation to stumble again and again and again in that twisted way. He comes to deliver us from life's fruitless ways. He comes to release us from the power of the mistakes that we're convinced define us, from the habits of mind that tell us we're worthless, from the fragile strongman's twisted lies about our neighbors, about what is true and about what is good. Jesus comes to set us free always from the bramble snare. And that is how an unfamiliar story moves us closer and closer to the heart of Advent's promise. That's how a message about three trees and a thorn bush become good news to you and to me. Thanks be to God for this good news today and always. Amen and amen.